Does God see? Does he remember? Does he care? Will he forgive? Will he keep his promises? These questions began to arise as we concluded chapter 40 of Genesis last week, uh, and they may even grow more vivid as we approach chapters 41 through 50. This morning we are concluding our flyby uh, of the book of Genesis. Uh, now we're not leaving Genesis. Next week I'm going to focus in on one verse, 5020. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Where is God in the evils that we face? But the plan for today is to wrap up our 12 weeks in Genesis, the conclusion of the life of Joseph. Last week, we considered Joseph's humiliation. Beloved by his father, despised by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt, further disgraced by being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison, and further disgraced by being forgotten. That's where we left off. He was forgotten after the Lord used him to interpret the dreams of two prisoners. Yet through it all, the Lord was with him. The Lord made what he did prosper. The Lord used him to bless others. And seeds were sown for his exaltation. As we finish the book of Genesis this morning, I want to do so in a little bit of a different way. I want us to see, we're going to cover 10 chapters. So you already, right off the bat, there's probably questions you have in those chapters that I'm not going to answer. I'm sorry. But as we look at the last 10 chapters, I wanted to, to do so through the lives, through the eyes, if you will, of three different people. And they will be who we focus on this morning. Joseph, Jacob, and Judah. Three people. Easy to remember. Joseph, Jacob, Judah. Through them, we are reminded of God's salvation, God's promises kept, and God's promises yet to be fulfilled. And I am mindful, it is a warm morning, so I, I feel the need to say this right out of the gate. I said it last week. If I'm still on Joseph in about 25 minutes, and you're like, how long is this thing going to take? Joseph is going to, the first point is the longest by far. So bear with me. Joseph, Jacob, and Judah. Through them, we are reminded of God's salvation, God's promises kept, and God's promises yet to be fulfilled. And kids, I have to ask you, you did good last week. Are you ready? You're ready for this? All right. Because I got some questions, and I think I'm going to stump you this morning. I think I'm going to get you. So I hope you've been prepping. I'm going to read all of Genesis chapter 41. I debated about that. It's a long chapter. It's good that we read the Word of God in our services, right? This is the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. We need to hear it. We need to fill ourselves with it. Chapter 41. After two whole years, this is two years after Joseph had interpreted these dreams, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. 
and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magician, all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Kids, who do you think? You think anybody can interpret these dreams to Pharaoh? Oh, I heard God and Joseph, and those are both correct. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, then quickly, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears on one stalk, full and good, seven ears, withered and thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt 
during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath. Paneah, and he gave him in marriage to Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was a famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your words, that your word would be properly proclaimed this morning, that your Holy Spirit would guide me, that I would be faithful to what you have to say. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft and receptive. We thank you for the life of Joseph, the reminder that the humiliated one became the exalted ruler and brought salvation. We thank you, Father, and pray that you be blessed by this time and that our hearts would be transformed in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up chapter 41 with Joseph still in prison. 
Two years later, cupbearer has forgotten him. Pharaoh has two dreams. All right, kids, here we go. This is a, I'm throwing you a softball right out of the gate. What, are his, what two things are in his dreams? What two things are in his dreams? Cows. And what else? We calling it wheat? We'll call it, we'll call it grain. All right. Cows, wheat, corn. We'll all accept grain or corn. Cows and corn. Same dream. Nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dream. None of the magicians of Egypt. None of the wise men. And as Pharaoh laments this, as he is sad over this, the cupbearer remembers. The cupbearer says, oh, man, I forgot. I remember today my offense against you. Well, against Joseph. He knows somebody who can interpret them. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Here at the end, how old was Joseph when Pharaoh sent for him? 30. How long had he been either sold as a slave or in prison? Well, two years since the dream. But how long since his brothers sold him? About 13 or 14 years. That's a long time. Joseph tells Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, as was mentioned, it's not in me, but the Lord will give you the interpretation. The God of Israel will give the interpretation. And Joseph gives that interpretation to Pharaoh. That both dreams foretell the same event. There are about to be seven years of plenty in Egypt and then seven years of famine. The people of Egypt must store up one-fifth of the produce of the land during the years of plenty so that they will have enough during the lean years. And Joseph tells Pharaoh, you need to appoint people to oversee this project, people you really trust. And who does Pharaoh say he wants to appoint over this project? Joseph. It's a good day for Joseph, right? He was, he was in prison, figuring he had been forgotten. And that very day, he brings the Lord's interpretation of this dream. And Pharaoh says, who could be better than you to oversee this project? You have the spirit of God in you. He gives glory to the God of Israel and makes Joseph the second most powerful person in Egypt. It's amazing. The humiliated one is now exalted to the right hand of the throne. Does that sound familiar? The one who has been humbled is now exalted to the right hand of the throne of the king. Joseph leads this project, stores up much grain in all the cities. He's further blessed by marriage and by the birth of two sons. What are their names? Come on, kids. Names of Joseph's kids? I read it. I read it to you. Say it out loud. Manasseh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Very good. Well done. As the Lord foretold through Joseph, the years of famine came, not just on Egypt, but on the whole known world. At the time, Egypt became the source and supply of grain, not just for their own people, but for the world. And as we go into chapter 42, who do you think learns that there's grain available in Egypt? 
Jacob. Jacob finds out that there's grain in Egypt, and Jacob sends his sons, except for which one? One of his sons he doesn't let go. Benjamin. He keeps Benjamin. He doesn't want to lose Benjamin. He's already lost Joseph. Doesn't want to lose Benjamin. And so he sends all of his other sons to go to Egypt and buy grain. And who do they have to go to to buy grain? Joseph. And do they recognize him when they see him? They do not. Joseph probably looks like an Egyptian at this point, right? He's dressed like an Egyptian, probably has a haircut like an Egyptian. He's speaking Egyptian. They don't know him, but does he know them? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. At this point, so we've had, Joseph was enslaved or imprisoned for at least, let's say, 13 years. And then there's been seven years of plenty, right? So now we're at least 20 years since Joseph has seen his brothers. And his brothers come to him. And what do they do when they come to him? They bow before him. Were there any dreams that talked about brothers bowing before Joseph? Did that happen somewhere in the book of Genesis? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And they bow before Joseph. They don't know it's him. But he knew them and he spoke roughly to them, it says in chapter 42. He accused them of being spies. Why did he do that? Is it because he was mad at them? Like, I'm going to get payback on you? Maybe. But I don't think so. If I'm speculating, uh, the scriptures don't tell us this, but he probably wanted to find out as much information as possible about his family's well-being without telling them who he was. And so he asks, he says, you're spies. You come to spy out the land. And so they give him more information about who they really are. We're not spies. And he learns that his father Jacob is still alive. He learns that his brother Benjamin is still alive. They tell him their story. And he tells them that they have to prove that they're, this is going to be a tough one, kids. Be ready. He wants them to prove that they're not spies. How are they going to do that? What, what is he going to ask them to do to prove that they're not spies? Bring Benjamin back. If you're really not spies, go get the youngest one and bring him back. And while you're going, leave one of you here. So who gets to stay in prison? Which one? Which brother? Do you know? I'm asking the tough questions today. Simeon, I heard it. Simeon has to stay and be imprisoned. And so the brothers go back to Jacob and they say, all right, we got the grain. They find out that this guy had put their money for the grain back in their sacks. So now they're really scared. Like they're going to be accused of stealing. And they say, we can't go back for more grain, dad, unless we bring Benjamin. And Reuben goes before Jacob and says what? He says, hey, listen, I'll put my life on the line, dad. You can count on me, dad. I'll vouch for the life of Benjamin. Trust me. 
And Jacob says, does he say, all right, go for it? He doesn't. He says, no. Jacob does not trust Reuben. Reuben has broken Jacob's trust by dealing sinfully with him. And so they use up all their grain. Simeon's still in jail. They're like, you know what? Let's just use up all the grain. Let's, let's delay this as long as possible. So Simeon's still in jail. They go back, or now they run out of grain, and Jacob says, you got to go back. you got to go get more. I don't even know where I am in my notes. I'm telling you. 43. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to follow along, so I'm going to refer to different. 43.2. When they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down to buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And this time, not Reuben, but Judah steps up and says, I'll put my life on the line for Benjamin. I'll do it. And what does Jacob say? He says, yes. Reluctantly, but he says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He agrees to let them go. He agrees to let Judah be the one who would give his life if necessary on behalf of Benjamin. We'll get to Judah in a little bit. Something I didn't mention when we went, I, I, I ran through the, the beginning part of this story. When Joseph accuses them of being spies in the land, and he says, don't come back here without your brother, what do the brothers privately say to one another? They say, this is our punishment from God. Surely God is punishing us for what we did to Joseph. 20 years later, it's still on their hearts and minds. God is getting us back for what we did to our brother. And I need to, to add a little word of correction. Sometimes I, I, I say things, I, I do a lot of study, a lot of research, I do a lot of time writing sermons, and, and I want to make clear one little correction I need to make from last week, that while in the account of Joseph being sold into slavery, he was we get no words from Joseph, no fight from Joseph. We see here in chapter 42 that they, they say, the brothers say, he begged us not to sell him. He begged us not to. And we did it anyway. We did it anyway. And so they go. They go back with many presents and the money that had been returned in their sacks and Benjamin. Joseph has a meal ready to dine with his brothers though they still did not know him. They couldn't eat at his table, but they ate in his presence. And while each of the brothers was given plenty to eat and drink, Benjamin, Benjamin gets how many times more food? 
Do you know? How much bigger of a portion did Benjamin get? So they're all eating a, a healthy portion of food. Benjamin gets the Chinese buffet, like just load it up. <laughs> Five times as much food. I mean, that's a big meal. I don't know that he could have eaten it all. But at the point is that Joseph was showing honor to Benjamin above his brothers. And as the brothers are about to head back home, Joseph instructs the steward of his house to fill their sacks, to give them their money back, and to do one more thing. All right, kids, this is the ultimate one. What did Joseph tell them to do, the steward to do? Do you know? I don't hear it. He, he told them, put my silver cup in the sack of one of them. Which one of them? Benjamin. Why did he do this? Again, I don't want to speculate because it's not clearly articulated, but this seems to be a test of what kind of men his brothers have become. Are they sorrowful for what they did to him? And so the steward tracks them down and they say, why would, he says, why would you do such a thing? Why would you steal Joseph's silver? Well, not Joseph, Zarephath Paneah. Why would you steal his silver cup? They say, we didn't do that. As a matter of fact, we're so sure we didn't do that that whoever, if you find it in any of our sacks, take that, that person, do whatever you want with them. And who is that person? The one person they needed to bring back, Right? The one person dad said, look, I don't care how this mission goes. One thing you need to do is bring Benjamin home. All right? If it takes the other 10 of dying, I want Benjamin back. And the silver cup is in Benjamin's sack. So they're taken back to Joseph. And Joseph says... I believe to keep up his appearance as an Egyptian. Didn't you know that I can pra a man like me can practice divination? He is not endorsing seeking the spiritual, you know, the, the spirit world to, to learn things or reading your horoscope, or he's, he's trying to keep up appearances before them as an Egyptian. Didn't you know I could do this? The name Zarephath Penea, do you know what it means? Revealer of secrets. And so maybe he would be even saying like, don't you know what my name means? Don't you know what I can do? I know all the secrets. And so, here we are. Benjamin is in big trouble. And Judah lays himself at the mercy of Joseph. Judah says we are all guilty but Joseph insists that he'll only punish the guilty one. And at this point, Judah takes Joseph aside. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read this. But I, I think 44, 18 to 34, I would encourage you to read uh, later today Ju what Judah says to Joseph. The love that he shows for his father. The changed man that he appears to be. And he tells him, if, if you do this, 
you're going to kill my father. And you can have me because I don't want my father to die. Judah is willing to lay down his own life for his younger brother. It's, it's what's been missing through the whole book of Genesis. An older brother who's willing to lay his life down for his younger brothers. The book of Genesis, just think about it. You don't have to, I'm not going to go through it now. How many times does the older brother fail the younger How many times does the older brother not fulfill what he ought to be as an older brother? And here, a lot. A lot is the correct answer. Exactly a lot. And here we have older brother Judah. Not the oldest, but the older brother. Laying his life down. Willing to give his life for his brother Benjamin. And at this, Joseph cannot control himself. He sends everybody out except his brothers. And he tells them the words that they would never expect to hear. Can you put yourself in this room? It's Joseph and his brothers. It's been 20 some years. And he says, I am Joseph. Can you imagine being there? What do you think, kids? the brothers felt at that moment. When he said, I am Joseph. Afraid. afraid. I'm with your Joseph. This is like our worst case scenario. We need you really bad. And we sold you. I am Joseph. But Joseph tells them that they need not be dismayed, that they need not be angry with themselves. He says in 45.5, God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent, he doesn't say, he says God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's amazing. He tells his brothers to go home. He tells them to get their families, to come dwell in Egypt. Go get your father Jacob, our father Jacob. Pharaoh says, oh, this is wonderful news. Tell them they can come and live here. They can stay in Egypt. The brothers go home and tell Jacob, Joseph's alive. And he's the guy who's given us grain. And he wants us to come live with him. What's Jacob's reaction? Disbelief, right? He's numb. How could this be? This doesn't make sense. But it was so. And the whole family went and settled in the land of Goshen. Joseph and Jacob are reunited in an emotional reunion. Joseph's family settles in the land and Pharaoh asks that they be put in charge of his livestock. And as the famine continues, Joseph's planning has made Egypt the source of sustenance for the whole world and has helped Pharaoh become wealthier than ever. The people of Egypt happily give their money and lands to Pharaoh, acknowledging 
You have saved our lives, they say in 4725. You have saved our lives. Joseph's children are given the blessing of Jacob. he's, He's got Manasseh and Ephraim on his right knee and on his left knee, right? He's going to bless them, and what does he do? You know, Joseph sets them where he thinks they should be, right? The younger one gets the, uh, the right hand, or the, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm going to get my right and left mixed up. Ephraim, Ephraim is supposed to get the left hand, and Manasseh is supposed to get the right hand, blessing of the older and the younger. What does Jacob do? Switchy hands. Crosses up his hands, Blesses the younger first and then the older. Joseph's like, no, 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 you got it backwards, dad. Haven't they learned? God often shows his glory through blessing the lesser. Jacob makes Joseph promise after this reunion to bury him in Canaan when he dies with his family. And Joseph does as instructed when Jacob dies 17 years after coming to Egypt. And after Jacob dies, we're almost at the end of Genesis now. Joseph's brothers are afraid of what he's going to do to them once Jacob dies. They fear Joseph again. They decide to tell him, hey, dad said, dad told us before he died that he wanted you to forgive us and not hold this against us. We have no record of Jacob saying that. But when Joseph hears those words, what does he do? Do you know? Well, he does something that we're going to get to in a minute because he does it a lot in this pa- these passages. He weeps. And he tells them, you don't have anything to worry about. Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. I'll just read... Uh, Now I'll read 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him again. They knew who he was this time and they fell down before him. And they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. They found in in Joseph a comforting Savior. A forgiving Savior. And I know that was a lot. Thanks for bearing with me. I'm almost done the Joseph portion. And I promise Jacob and Judah are are shorter. But I have two two little things or two or three little things that I want to see through the life of Joseph. First of all, here we go. The stone that was rejected becomes the cornerstone, right? The one who was sold into slavery becomes the salvation of all, foreshadowing a greater salvation story. The one thought to be dead rises and becomes the salvation of the world. 
And Joseph repeatedly acknowledges that it is not him, but God who saves, God who gives interpretation, God who gives wisdom, God who provides, the one true God, the God of Israel. The God, this God used and exalted Joseph that he might save. And who did Joseph save? That's a question. Who did he save? He saved, in a sense, the world. Yes, we are meant to see that he saved the nation of Israel, that he preserved the line of the Messiah, the chosen people of God. These are true and wonderful realities. But Joseph was sent to save not just the people of Israel, but the whole world. We read that in 4157. He saved Egypt. He saved the nations surrounding Egypt, and in all of it, he gave glory to God. It is important for us to note that right from the book of Genesis, our God is a God who loves the nations. Joseph said that God sent him there to preserve life. Our God is a sending God, a God who among us, this gathering right here, I know it to be true already, but even more and more, might send some from this place to go to another place to testify to his grace and mercy, to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and ultimately, not because of us, but by his power, to preserve life. That's what Joseph said that God did. He sent me here to preserve life. And he might send some of us to the ends of the earth to preserve life. That's a high calling. To be a faithful witness who goes, whether it's in your neighborhood or to the ends of the earth, to preserve life. To speak words of life to those who dwell in darkness. The Egyptians knew that Joseph's trust was in the God of Israel, Yahweh. Pharaoh gives glory to the God of Israel. Joseph is a steadfast witness that our God is a saving God. He exalted Joseph that his glory might be known in all the earth. All the earth came to be rescued by Joseph's provision. Through Joseph, we see that the Lord exalts the lowly and saves the needy through his exalted servant. Amazing foreshadowing of what we read in Philippians 2 or what we read at the start of the service, that Jesus Christ would empty himself, take the form of a servant, even to the point of death, and then be raised in triumph over sin and death. Joseph foreshadows a greater deliverance, a greater salvation, and in addition to that, I just think this is amazing. If you read through these chapters this week, I mentioned this earlier, did you notice how many times in 41 through 50, Joseph weeps or is overcome with emotion? Seven different times in these 10 chapters, it mentions Joseph weeping. Or Joseph is overcome with emotion. 42, 24, 43:30, 45:1, 46:29, 51:50,10, 50:17. Over and over and over, we have the picture of a compassionate, weeping savior. I think that's wonderful. 
He has every right to be seething with rage. Every right to say, now is payback time, brothers. It's time. I'm going to get you. I suffered for 13 years because of you. When he should be or has every right to be seething with rage, how do we find him? Weeping. Sympathetic. Forgiving. When Joseph's brothers fear that now that Jacob is out of the picture, Joseph will exact his revenge, what is Joseph doing? Weeping. Forgiving. Loving. And at that moment, his brothers willingly bow to him that he is this merciful when he could do whatever he wants with me and he forgives me and he provides for me and he takes care of me and my family. He could do whatever he wants and he shows compassion. That's not very kingly. It's not very kingly to let your enemies continue to live. But Joseph foreshadows one who we read about earlier in the service, who loved his enemies. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. For a good person, someone might dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were his enemies. Maybe some here today are the enemies of God. Those who stand against God, who live for your own glory, who do not care about the life you live before the Lord, do not care that you were made by him and will have to answer to him. To people like that, for people like that, Jesus Christ died. That all who believe would no longer be called the enemies of God, but the friends of God. Jesus himself was a weeping Savior. A compassionate Savior. He is a compassionate Savior. How good it is to know, brothers and sisters, that Joseph reflects the heart of our Heavenly Father. When we find in ourselves that we still fall short, and we come to him and we, and we fall at his feet and say, Father, I, I have fallen short again. Do we find a father who says, that's enough. You reached your quota. Time for me to exact my revenge. No, we find a merciful Savior. We find forgiveness and grace to help us in our time of need. As often as we come to him, he is merciful. Joseph points to that merciful Savior. And through Joseph we learn, as we're going to talk more in depth about next week, that for the children of God, he is with us in the darkest of places. He's not absent. He's not indifferent. He's not uncaring. He is with us. He is ordering our steps. He is working out our, his good purposes for us. Do you know that today? That in the darkest of places, he has not abandoned his children, right? He doesn't say, I'll be back with you when it gets good again. 
I am with you. Always. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, narrow down my Jacob and Judah stuff. Out of respect for you. I, uh, I, I thank you for bearing with me. Are you guys doing okay out there? Yeah. All right. Jacob. Through Jacob's eyes in this passage, just very quickly, we see despair and disbelief turned into joy and confidence in the promises of God. When Jacob makes his way to Pharaoh to meet up with Pharaoh and introduce himself, how does he introduce himself? My name is Jacob, and what's he say about himself? Do you know? This is a real tough one. My name is Jacob. He probably doesn't even say that, actually, but... Few and evil have been the days of my life. That's how he describes himself before Pharaoh. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Jacob has had a difficult life in many ways, though he was wealthy. Both the evils that he had carried out against his own brother, which I'm sure still lingered with Jacob, that he had, he had tricked his brother Esau in many ways, and the evils that he had experienced in the loss of his son and the trials that he had in, 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 with his uncle Laban. Few and evil have been my days. How old was Jacob at this point in his few days? He was 110. Few days. It's been a very short life and my days have been tough. And I, and I wanted to say, you know, in spite of the time crunch, Maybe some here resound with that description. Few and evil have been the days of my life. There is no doubt that there are some among us, brothers and sisters, who feel the weight of the evil of our days, the difficulty of our days, the challenges, many blessings, but, but overall it's been trials, it's been struggles, and I just want to remind you, if you are here believing in Christ and feeling like, yes, few and evil have been my days, that's what I am feeling, the Lord has not forgotten. He is still faithful. He will still keep his promises, and in the midst of the few and evil days, Jacob had known the faithfulness and promise-keeping of the Lord. He knew and trusted the Lord that, okay, I got to give Benjamin over to you. I got to send him. It's our only hope. Maybe he'll come back. I pray that he'll come back. And as the brothers come back and tell Joseph that, or Jacob, that Joseph is still alive, and, and though he's at first numb and disbelieving, he ultimately becomes convinced that this is true and he resolves to go. And as they go on their journey, he comes to Beersheba. You remember that name at all? place called like Bethel, Luz, sound good? This was the place where J Jacob, if you have your Bibles, 28, Genesis 28. I'll just read a few verses from 28. This is Jacob's dream of the angels and ascending and descending on the ladder. And in verse 13 of 28, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it, the ladder, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, 
I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then we see in chapter 46, verse 2, as they are at Beersheba. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God is telling Jacob, I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten my promises to you. I haven't forgotten my promises to your fathers. I have not forgotten. Go to Egypt. You will not die in this famine. By going to Egypt, my promises to you are going to be fulfilled. I haven't forgotten you, Jacob. Our God is a promise-keeping God. He's not a promise-breaking God. He will preserve his people. He will save his people. He will establish his people. And so Jacob goes. And beyond any hope he could have ever hoped, he receives his son back from the dead. A son risen from the dead has been exalted and reunited with his father. Jacob, later in 49, we don't have time to go through this, but he pronounces blessings and curses on his sons and grandsons, his family line will go on. His God is truly the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living, the God of the line that will continue. He who promised is faithful. Do you know that today? He who promised is faithful. You can trust the promises of God. They are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Jacob breathes his last at the young age of 147. Oh, he was, yeah, he was 130, I'm sorry, when he goes before. Sorry, see, I gotta correct myself. You could have, I see Michelle Lazarus is like, I know. Why didn't you say 130? He was 130 when he said few and evil were the days of his life. And at 147, 17 years later, he passes away. Evil were his days, but faithful was his God. And as we draw to a close this morning, we see very quickly in the person of Judah the glimpses of a promise yet to come. We talked briefly last week about chapter 38 and the heinous acts of Judah. This guy is not a model citizen. Could be said the same about Jacob, right? The Lord uses the broken for his glory. But in this week's passage, we see a few spots that point us to greater glory for the line of Judah. We see Judah pleading before Jacob to be the surety for Benjamin as they go back to Egypt in chapter 43. But we know it's easy to say you'll protect your loved ones. Much harder to do when the rubber meets the road. But when the rubber met the road, Judah pled before Joseph on behalf of his brother Benjamin, willing to lay down his life for his brother. Judah's willingness foreshadows the one who will lay down his life for his enemies. 
Who could fathom such a thing? And as Jacob is pronouncing his blessings and curses upon his children while he reserves wonderful blessings for Joseph, it is Judah of whom Jacob says, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Oh, Judah, this is only the beginning of your rule and leadership. From Judah's line, not Joseph's line. From Judah's line will come David. And from Judah's line will come Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Laying down his life for brothers. Laying down his life for enemies. The light of the world. The savior of the world. The hero of the story. And Judah reminds us that while God kept his promises to Jacob and Joseph, there are promises yet to fulfill. And he will do it. He will keep his promises. Joseph reminds us that God saves. Jacob reminds us that God keeps his promises. And Judah reminds us that God will send the true rescuers. Rescuer. These rescuers were temporary. Rescued from hunger. Rescued from prison. But the Lord was going to send one. One we rejoice in. The true Savior, Jesus Christ, who would rescue all who believe from the penalty and power of sin and set them free to the hope of life eternal. Our needs are huge, and our Savior is huger. Praise God for his mighty work of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. We thank you for the themes we see in the book of Genesis, that you are faithful. You keep your promises and you will rescue and save your people. Thank you that you are a rescuing God, a redeeming God, and you rescue us through the life, the humble, humiliating life of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, through his humiliating death on the cross, which became an exalted death, exalted through resurrection seated at your right hand, ever living to make intercession for all who believe. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for our hope, Lord. Thank you that you are a saving God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.